10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. 你好吗 ？Live from Qatar, this is the morning break with Dorian Brown. Good morning. Another week in the books, and the weekend is within touching distance. I'm Dorian Brown. It's Friday, the first of October. Yes, October. When did that happen? We are live on Teachers Talk Radio, where today my guest and I will continue to pull at the threads of sustainability and global citizenship, and have a yarn about how we can help shape positive dispositions towards these ideas in school. Call, text, or tweet in and have your say. Let's talk this out. Live from Qatar. This is the morning break. With Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag #TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah, blah blah blah, blah blah blah. This is not about some expensive, politically correct green act of bunny hugging or blah blah blah. Build back better, blah blah blah. Green economy, blah blah blah. Net zero by 2050, blah blah blah. Net zero, blah blah blah. Climate neutral, blah blah blah. Greta Thunberg there with a strong and powerful message from the Youth for Climate Summit last week. Thank you for tuning in to Teachers Blah 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 Radio this morning.、Uh, I hope you've had a really good week and are looking forward to this weekend、uh, and having some much-needed decompression and rest and relaxation. We are talking today about sustainability and global citizenship, and specifically about how us as teachers, as schools, and as communities, we can actively turn that blah 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 into action. And I am incredibly excited to be joined by my guest today, Mr. Darcy Lunn.、Uh, I've had the honour of working with him in the past, and his enthusiasm when working with students is absolutely phenomenal. His workshops as well. Really do leave the students with positive dispositions and a feeling that they have they have the power to change the world、uh, for better.、Uh, we will, I'm sure, find out more about this during today's show.、Uh, so, by way of a quick introduction, according to his Twitter profile, Darcy is a perpetual volunteer, an educator, a nomad, a tiny house advocate, a walker, cyclist, and passionate humanitarian leader, and love of pure life people. Places and experience. That is a long list of things there, Darcy. I hope we were able to kind of scratch the surface of some of those things over the course of the show. Hi there, Dorian. Can you hear me there? Just want to double check that. Yes, all good. Coming through loud and clear, sir. Fabulous. Well, that's great. Thanks for having me in. Absolutely fantastic! It's really good to be able to, to to have you on the show and talk. I know that today that you have、uh, you went on a little jog this morning or something. Is that right? Uh, yes, it was a glorious morning here in Dubai, and、uh, did go for a bit of a run. So I'm doing a, a thing called the Insanity Challenge, where you start at five kilometers in January and you add five kilometers each month.、Uh, it being October, the first of October, I did a 50k run this morning. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, I'm.、Uh, well, hopefully that's put you in the、uh, in in the right frame of mind for a discussion for us for an hour. And、uh, obviously, I hope you are you have refueled and everything、um, so that you are good to go. 
So what, what I'd like to start with, what I'd like to um, uh, start with all, the, all of the guests on the show is just to really just have a quick summary of your, your journey uh, in, in life to, to a degree, but also specifically in education and with sustainability and global citizenship. So could you give us a quick summary of your, of your journey to date, please, Darcy? Sure. So I uh, grew up in South Australia, as you may detect from my beautiful accent. Um, but the but I always kind of say that my education started the day I finished university. Uh, I went through school; it was all fun, fine, you know, all that kind of thing. And then I got actually I got put out of university a little bit early to go and teach in an Aboriginal remote Aboriginal community in uh, in South Australia, in my home state. And there I just saw the most different and diverse culture at that point and even having gone to more than 90 countries since then, it's still one of the most different and diverse cultures I've seen anywhere on the planet. So, mm. so that was where my education started, um, technically as a teacher but mostly as a learner. And, uh, and so since then, yeah, the, the world has been my, um, my lesson plan and, and my place for learning, my classroom, uh, to both teach and, and to learn from. So, yeah, like I said, I've mm. been working in education for 20 odd years and and specialized in global citizenship education and sustainability for about the last 10 or 11 but it's always been close to my heart well and and actually from you just saying that it kind of it links with a couple of other guests i've had on in the past there seems to be this commonality that um the, the lived experience really does have that kind of that that does shape your you know the, your your future almost you know if people have experienced you know um injustices or or disparities or, or or anything along those lines it really does kind of make 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 you think and perhaps maybe allow you to choose your career path yeah actually i suppose for me it was um i fell in love with other cultures when i had the very fortunate opportunity again at 15 that experiential learning stage mm. of going to japan which was just this foreign country uh, but I, I just loved everything about it and, and something struck a chord and I just knew that I wanted to go out and see new places and meet new people and, and learn as much as I could from as many different places and people as I could. <laughs> yeah, and you said you've, you've visited over sort of 90-odd countries now, is that right, and, and, and counting? Do you have yeah, a scratch well, map? Counting. Do you have a scratch not map? Not That's counting. what we want to know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no scratch map and not counting. No. Actually, it, it sort of happened by accident. But uh, yeah, I tend not to. Well, I try not to fly too much. So I uh, and I do a bit of bike riding and those sorts of things. So I tend to ramble from one country to the next. And uh, and actually, it's funny. Most of the time, I don't know what my job is, where I live, or how I get paid. So that's the way I've managed to get myself around the world, uh, having come from a very priv privileged background of access to education and health and all those sorts of things. But, uh, but mm. yeah, I found a way and teaching was that beautiful passport to, to get around the world and interact with people and, and connect with cultures. Yes, great. And, and actually where we connected uh, was when I engaged you with uh, Teaspoons of Change, which is, some, which is, if you'd like to tell the listeners a little bit more about Teaspoons of Change... Yeah, sure. So, so I've been working in global citizenship education. I helped start the organisation called Global Citizen that runs a big concert in New York every year. And we started it in uh, Melbourne. Well, when I say started, I, I came in soon after it had kicked off by the founders uh, to try and turn it into a schools program. So I was getting my head in the game with global citizenship and talking about these things, doing lots of presenting. But uh, there was something to it. Like I knew there was a niche for me to try and find a spot in that. And then in 2012, I happened to be doing some polio eradication um, advocacy. 
as you do. Mm. <laughs> but uh, but I, I so I went to to Pakistan and India and a few places and really had a look at the polio program on uh, in, so on the ground. And what I saw was that with two drops multiplied by billions of times across the world, we've almost eradicated the second human disease ever after smallpox. And so it was on the back of that where this this idea was trickling away that, you know, how do small actions multiplied by lots of people, it can create big change. And so, so I went for a walk, as I said, I like walking. So I, I walked a thousand kilometers uh, in Japan. And the, if you walk a thousand kilometers, you get a long time to think. And so I was oh. thinking of all these different things. And uh, and that's where Teaspoons of Change came from. So so Teaspoons of Change, uh, you know, choices, decisions, and actions that have a positive impact on people on the planet. That's that's kind of the the essence of of that. Yeah, and, and I think it makes sense, and it's it's almost a mantra which people have been kind of told a, a lot over time. But actually, it's the it's the it's the doing and, and the realizing that actually the, the the small steps, the small teaspoons teaspoons actually have an impact. Um, I think that's something in the vernacular now of 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 sustainability is that you know if everybody does their part, if everybody does their little bit, then then multiply that up and dot dot dot. But I think maybe the the, the issue that some people perhaps maybe have with that is that you know. They feel that the issue is, is is too big for them to address, and so teaspoons have changed in terms of the the, the, the concept of the idea is to perhaps maybe demonstrably show uh, others that these teaspoons of change do have uh, global significance. Yeah, well, so so the the, the two so the, the basic of teaspoons of change is turning off the lights. Refilling your water bottle, you know, blah blah blah. Yes. So look, and that's fine. That's great because what it does is it puts a name on those actions. But mm. when it when it really makes a big difference is when you take those actions that you can't see. So when you refill your water bottle by not using a plastic water bottle, you can't see that water bottle that you don't use. And so so mm. that's why I wanted to name those things which are really hard. To, to have a personal connection with. You know, when we turn off the light switch, we can't see the lump of coal that we that we didn't burn, you know, mm-hmm. by, by turning yeah. off that light. And, and so teaspoons of change isn't so much the action. Um, it's more the attitude, behavior, and, and, and you know, attention and, or intention, actually, yes. that the fact that you turn the light switch off shows that you have a connection to your actions and their impact. Now, that yeah. is significant. So that's what we're looking for. So, so I want to introduce this to schools and teachers, etc. We definitely start at straws, and and you know, it's it's designed to be a welcome mat for people to feel comfortable about. Hey, what small actions can I do, and and how do they have an impact? But really, what we're looking at is that it, it's a way of living, it's a way of life. Uh, as yes. I'll pull from from you and your chat with Anthony Rach recently, it's a, you know, it's something to live, not just to laminate that you put up on the wall. So teaspoons yeah. of change has to be that that kind of lived experience, but without a moral bashing and a guilt trip. So it's you know I don't go around and slap people for eating meat or <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. they do. I'll leave that to Greta. She does a good job yeah. of that. <laughs> no, she's right. lovely and, and important. Um, mm-hmm. But really, it's it is just laying out that term of phrase, and and, I, and it's a concept, and I think people use it and utilize it in very different ways. Yeah, I like that. I think that's fantastic, and I think that um, to kind of 
I guess underline or illustrate that a little bit further is that it, it, we're, we're looking to, to, to shape behaviors, aren't we? We're looking to change the behaviors and to make them almost automatic um, in the way that, you know, when you don't really want to have to think when you're leaving a, a room, for example, that, oh, I must turn out the light. You must just do it automatically. There's this automaticity where you're not even you know, thinking about doing those things. It becomes part of who you are, as it were. Um, and I was reflecting this morning, actually, and just thinking about, you know, almost what I've, what I've spoken to you already about is that what happened in my life what happened when I was younger who did I and I was thinking of who actually rather than what but who did I meet that made me be uh made me feel that it was important to to, to do these little things to make sure that you were all everyone was doing their bit um and I don't think I could pin it on, on one person in particular but if you don't have that person there to kind of show you the uh, uh, the behavior or the, or, or the way or the reason why you are doing what you are doing, then it's completely understandable that people don't have that kind of uh, in their, in their repertoire of, of, of behaviors, right? Yeah. And, and even if you are the person that's saying that, if you're the only voice in the room that's saying it, it gets glassed over or glazed over fairly quickly. So, you know, the biggest thing that I've noticed in recent couple of years is I've been saying more or less similar things for the last 20 years around social justice and sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. But now I'm not, you know, just the crazy guy in the corner of the room. I'm still the crazy guy in the corner of the room, but there are more people over in that corner. So, so for me, you know, the saturation of small touching points just brings that. So it is relevant and, and it's talked about. And so they're hearing it from some guy who walked or rode a bike and talks about teaspoons of change, but then they're hearing it from their parents who watch the evening news or through a David Attenborough, you know, documentary or through Greta or, you know, Jane Goodall, da, 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 all the, you know, all these different mm. things or their favorite musician has gone vegan. And, you know, that is mm. where we've, we're starting to hit some of those tipping points where it's not just like a nice fluffy idea. This actually enhances our quality of life. And, and I think we're aiming for quality of life just that little bit more than we are quantity of life, as we might have done, you know, when I grew up in the 80s and 90s and, and maybe others. So, yeah, yeah, it's like so it's important to be a lone voice sometimes, but it's even better when when, when you get other people to, to come in and join the chorus. Yeah, so Rolling Stone gathers no moss, right? You want to keep on uh, building on that momentum, which 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 is starting. I, I, I see exactly what you're saying in the way that um, – it becomes a move, becomes a movement, or like you said, becomes a it becomes a culture, a culture of caring, isn't it? A culture of sit, of care and, and and an understanding that you have control over such things. Um, well, fantastic. Sorry, Dorian. It's, oh, it's yeah. also it's also um, about mainstreaming. It becoming mainstream. Like that's that, right. that's that's where it really then starts to to bubble up and boil over. Yes. And like you said, the examples of of people in society that are kind of starting to kind of affect these this change. Um, yeah, the more and more people that start to do it, it's kind of I'm, I'm sure there's come some form of human behavioral science linked to it, isn't there? As soon as you see more people all queuing up for this particular thing, then more and more people queue up for it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, I can give you a, a nice little analogy. There's, um, mm. I'm not sure where it came from. I heard it from someone many years ago, and so mm. I can't att um, attribute it very well. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Where it came from or who created the collective sardines. And so right. I'm going to have to use a bit of poetic license here because I don't know the science, the exact science on this. Right, but right. Um, the story goes, you know, if you've got a blue whale, 
a giant blue wire where it takes them, you know, maybe three minutes to turn 180 degrees. Mm. The same mass of collective sardines, so sardines are much smaller, but that same mass of sardines can, can turn in an instant because mm. what they find is within that group of sardines, there'll be some that just start to indicate that they're going to make a move and then that just disperse, disperses across the group and in an instant they can, they can turn and, in, and move in the other direction. So, again, that's kind of a teaspoons of change metaphor of you don't wait for the last mm. sardine to start indicating they're going to be moving. People mm. will catch on if they see that it's popular or popping up in, in all these different aspects of life. Yeah. Lovely. And I think, yeah, mo- and that's where that modeling of behaviors comes, doesn't it? And that's why well, I think what I was saying earlier is that, you know, had, ha- have I, had I not met somebody in the past that was being quite, ca- you know, caring about the environment and this, that and the other, maybe I would not, you know, they, they were my sardine, right? They were the sardine that I was looking at. Um, and, and they were starting to make those changes and making me feel that, you know, this is a sort of a, a, a change that you have to, that, that you, you feel compelled to make and, and, and you, you know, you care. Um, really good. I think, and, and, and as I said, I didn't get, you know, teaspoons of change uh, came to us uh, in, in Jakarta and we had a fantastic uh, couple of workshops and, um, and um, activities which we did, which really did, as I said, you know, we were working with the CAS program in the IB at the time. And it really did kind of, as I said at the beginning of the, of the show, you know, it really did kind of almost light a fire inside some of the students' minds to think that actually, yeah, you know, doing these things doesn't cost anything making these changes actually doesn't you know inconvenience me too much to make me not want to actually think about starting to do them and it also built a a level of enthusiasm for some of the cast projects which had perhaps maybe waned a little bit one whilst we were there so you know it, it really did kind of you know your influence and your and, and your 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 ideas which you were sharing with the students really did kind of rub off them on them and I was really uh, thankful and happy uh, that you were able to do that for us and and by the sounds of it it's something that you've been doing for a number of years in a number of different places um, but moving moving now into where you um, are now, so you're based in Shanghai at the moment, and and so teaspoons of change as a concept, an idea, an organisation, uh, is still very much bubbling in the in the in in the foreground here. But um, you're based in Shanghai now, more full time. Yeah, yeah. So so it's actually now on the back burner <laughs> more mm. than the front burner. So um, you know, once upon a time that that was my vocation. That that's that's sort of what I did for for quite a few years. Um, but these days in Shanghai, I'm really fortunate to, during COVID, uh, things changed and all the, as you know, the world changes. Uh, And so I picked up a role with, um, they're now called EIM, Education in Motion, but previous, and that this is quite a new evolution of the organization, but they're they're the Dulwich uh, schools. So there are about seven or eight Dulwich Duhong, Duhong are the Chinese version of those schools. Um, and so this is an education body that's, is about trying to create a sustainable future. And so I've come on to be the, the group head of sustainability and global citizenship. So I get to work across 10 or so schools in China. Uh, we have a school in, in Seoul and and um, Singapore. We did have one in Yangon, but unfortunately things haven't gone so well there politically mm-hmm. and, and for the people. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's on hiatus. And then we just recently also uh, bought the, the green schools so in Bali and, and oh, wow. New Zealand and a couple other spots. So, so I'm really fortunate to have, have landed in, you know, a very sort of busy city and corporate environment of a, of a mainstream school, 
but I love it. Like I, I, I don't know if I've had a, a, a more meaningful job at this moment in time Previously, you know, I've worked for UNICEF and Gates Foundation and, and lots and lots and lots of different organisations over the years. But to be in China in 2021, uh, who's the highest emitter, not, not you know, traditionally, but at, at this current moment, mm-hmm. and working with quite privileged students who are with fairly premium type schools. And mm-hmm. so to be one of those sardines, <laughs> this is a beautiful yeah. description for a person, but, you know, <laughs> to, to be a little step, stepping stone in their journey uh, as they grow up and they're trying to form their ideas about the world and how to be a you know a person and a good person and all that sort of stuff, all the stuff you spoke to Anthony about, uh, yeah. is just incredible. So so I'm so fortunate to to be based here in China at the moment. I really love it. Yeah. Yeah, and and just as you were kind of talking through that, it, you know, so your position is as head of sustainability and global citizenship across a you know it's almost like a, so in the UK we have um, multi academy trusts. Um, which are the same conceptually, you know, seven, seven or eight, I guess, schools in one group, as it were, and they will have someone who is you know, overseeing certain things over, over, over all of the all of the schools as part of that trust. Um, I wonder. I don't know the answer to this, and I wonder if anyone listening might be able to help us out. I wonder if there is such a a position, such a um, a job that actually exists in the UK at sort of a trust level. Um, I know sort of in schools you have kind of eco committees and eco coordinators, etc. But um, I wonder if there is such such a thing. Uh, in in the UK, and as you said, you know you're in a uh, what you say a privileged position of being able to kind of um, work between each of these seven or eight schools, and the students um, are sort of fee paying students, and 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 they have you know you have the opportunity of shaping their disposition so that when they um, are in the working world or in the, in the world themselves, they are mindful of the decisions and the steps that they're making. You know they may be you know in charge of a business or they may be. Uh, in some form of uh, industry where perhaps maybe there needs to be that kind of step back and kind of think about, okay, what is the impact of our um, supply chain on the environment, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we never know where these these things go. And and whilst I feel it's you know quite fulfilling for me personally, I, I have no idea what, what, what's going to happen. <laughs> but, but, you know, we kind of work on the premise that, we we can be you know we can only control our little slice of life in the world and so where I decide to put my time energy and passion is really important to me so I, I kind of have a little mantra of the last many years is is that I, I I'm determined to not hate Mondays in fact I gave a little a TEDx talk on this um, a couple of years ago and so that's always been my my guiding north star and so if I'm hating Mondays then then there must be something wrong with what I'm doing or my job or life or so mm. something needs to change. But, uh, and it's not, you know, that I leap out of bed smiling and laughing and, and dancing on a Monday morning when the alarm goes off, but uh, I do like to put myself in positions where I'm learning and engaging and trying to make a positive impact in the world in, in whichever way we can. So, so, so this, this opportunity for me, yeah, to be across 11,000 students, you know, many hundreds of educators is just a fantastic opportunity. And if you do find that there is a sustainable, a head of sustainability for those London schools, let mm. me get in touch or get them to get in touch because I love yeah. collaboration. You know, mm. global citizenship shouldn't be a competitive advantage. It should be mm. where the whole sector is aiming towards. And I, and I do find that we're pretty good at collaboration, uh, you know, around the, the sustainable yeah. development goals and global goal 17, which is partnerships for the goals. 
So yes. yeah, we, we go down that pathway. <laughs> and that's a great little that's a great little, little flag I think as to where we could move on to next. Um, I just we just call her in the studio, Praveen from India. Hi, thanks for joining the show. Um, I'm not sure if you still wanted to call in, but if you could um, if you want to hit the call in again, if you've got uh, a, a question for Darcy or or any experience of sustainability where you are in 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 India. Um, so if you call it, if you want to call in again, um, then I can click the click the accept. I think I missed it the first time. Um, so let's move on to the sustainable development goals. You mentioned them there. Now, I guess um, if I can sort of, uh, you, you may have to kind of correct correct the accuracy of what I'm uh, what, what I say now. I guess, but um, the sustainable development goals. I'll, I'll ask you to kind of. Um, introduce them to our listeners some of some of our listeners have definitely know what they are but actually i've uh, reflected on this myself and, and having spoken to a few people on twitter and a few other people that work in schools in the uk they're perhaps maybe not as well known as they may be and and, and, I, and i'm in this this bubble almost of working in this you know working with service for a number of years um and working as a cast coordinator and working in international schools really so i, I you know they they've very much been front and center of of me and of my of my well last five five years i guess since they're well six years i think they are aren't they um so they came about as a result of the Millennium De- Development Goals. So the Millennium Development Goals were um, uh, started in the year 2000. Um, and there were eight goals, I think, in terms of um, all, all geared towards trying to reduce poverty and, and, uh, and improve um, people's quality of lives. Now, depending on where you, I guess, where your sources are, there, were, there was a kind of a, a mixed bag in terms of the success to the extent of those goals, which had, which had a 15-year um, uh, time uh, span. Um, but, it, but, you know, statistics such as lifting more than a billion people out of poverty, for example, um, has been uh, sort of reported uh, as a result of those goals. Um, the goals themselves, though, and this is where I might need a, a little bit of uh, help from you, Darcy, I, I believe the goals themselves were kind of quite, they were quite wide and quite generic, and they were kind of blanket percentage improvements for every single country. And it didn't really take into account the um, different levels of development and ability and capacity for countries to actually be able to um, make significant progress on these goals, particularly with some countries may you know, have quite different priorities. So if I'm right in saying that, then perhaps maybe you could either either kind of agree or correct me and then and then let us know, give us a quick kind of intro into the sustainable development goals, which kind of took their place in 2015. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. The MDGs, the Millennium Development Goals, are far lesser known than the, than the Sustainable Development mm. Goals, and they're a bit, you know, uh, development heavy. And if you're a geography teacher, you're pretty much the only person that would have ever seen the MDGs. But okay. um, but so you're right. I mean, the, but the thing about the Sustainable Development Goals, are, or they're often called the SDGs, which to me is far too close to STDs. And yeah. And just, <laughs> It's a, and it's a boring term and, and I don't like boring things and neither does anyone else because, you know, if, hey, if we talk, we're going to talk about the Sustainable Development Goals. Cool. Well, I'm yes. going to switch off to that for sure. Yeah. It's a lot so, of big words, isn't so it? That you kind of, yeah. It is and it's, you know, and I've worked in that sector and it's great and there's wonderful people, but it's usually pretty boring in terms of community engagement or being very human and, and practical and useful. So, mm. so the way that I... Like my aim for many years was to get the global goals more tactile and tangible and accessible and fun and interesting and engaging, uh, you know, across the world. 
And there's a great organisation based in the UK called Project Everyone, uh, started up by Richard Curtis, the, the filmmaker, and his office is in Portobello Road. It is like being in a Richard Curtis movie when you go into the office. Uh, and they have the education side of that, which is the world's largest lesson. And okay. it's fabulous. And, and, you know, and so I've gone and worked with them from 2015 when the, the Sustainable Development Goals started. But look, anyway, they, they've got great resources and they're trying to make those goals relevant, useful, fun and interesting for teachers, for students, for parents, etc. But look, <clears throat> let's take, I'll take that step back and say, here, here these global goals, they're goals, Okay, and the, and I'll explain it to you like I do for year two or for, you know, the corporate executives that are next door that, are, <laughs> that I work with. And I've got to say that the explanation is pretty similar between the two. But uh, but for me, there, there are goals. So if I want to run a marathon, I need to do some planning. I'm going to have to do some training, uh, probably eat some good foods, you know, blah, blah, all those sorts of things. Um, so these goals, what they do is they help us to work together as a global community to solve big issues, colours. That's pretty much it. You know, the, these goals, I, I can't So a go framework, if you will. Yeah, that's right, a, a set of goals or a plan. In fact, the, the best way I like to describe them is as a plan. So if we work together towards this plan, we can try and help end extreme poverty, reduce inequality and protect our planet. So that, that's what it is in a nutshell. Now, they don't do anything by themselves. There's not a magic button that you can push and it does everything for you. Um, it's really about how do I do what I can in my personal life through my teaspoons of change and then how does that fit into the bigger picture in a global context or a collective context? So how, how's right. that? What do you reckon? Yeah, no, that, that's great. And uh, Miko's joining us from South Africa as well. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, Miko. Uh, we're just talking about the uh, global goals or the sustainable development goals. Um, and Darcy's kind of just um, given us a kind of a precis really of, of, of what they are. And, and, and looking at them, there are now there are 17 of them in total. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there in the way that they are a, they're a plan, but they're, they're a starting point. Um, because when you, as a, as a student, as a, as a, when you're looking at them individually, they are quite ambitious as well at the same. So, you know, number one says no poverty. And if you're a, you know, a 10-year-old student in, in, in England, like how, how, do, how, how can you possibly do something that can actually contribute towards there being no poverty in the world? And, 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 and this is, I guess, where we come in with schools and education and how we frame the goals and how we... Um, I guess let's bring it all the way back to the beginning here and it's how we actually establish the purpose of education. Is the purpose of education purely academic? Is it uh, to make the world a better place? Is it to pass knowledge down from one generation to the other? And there isn't necessarily a, an answer to that. So in my last couple of shows where I've talked with um, uh, uh, service learning advocates and, and, and global citizenship, it's all been about really about how we can do what we do academically within schools but do that and interweave service learning and building positive dispositions as we go um so i'm going to pick up a little bit more on that just after the the uh, advertisements um and we're going to start thinking about how we can actually use the global goals uh, practically and give our listeners something to kind of take away and maybe try uh in their classrooms need support with your phonics teaching did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, 
Floppy's phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Welcome and thank you for joining us this morning on Teachers Talk Radio. We are talking global goals, we're talking global citizenship, we're talking sustainability, uh, and I'm joined uh, in the studio by Mr. Darcy Lunn. We have so far kind of talking, I guess, quite kind of strategically about how, um, you know, what the what the goals are and what um, service learning uh can be pinned upon. Um, and what I wanted to do really was just to kind of have a word uh, with, with Darcy and, 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 so, and he's going to share some ideas, I hope, uh, with things that he has done in school uh, with students in order to kind of um, promote the global goals, but also actually um, develop these kind of habits and behaviors, et cetera, which uh, all contribute these little teaspoons of change um, to affect you know, global change. Before we did that, I wanted to just put that we've had a few sort of tweets in, into the show uh, when I sort of asked about the idea of whether, you know, whose job it was uh, to teach sustainability. Is sustainability something that we uh, have to ensure that we uh, build into our curriculum? Is it something that should be taught in schools but outside the curriculum? Or is it something that perhaps maybe uh, shouldn't, should not be part of the curriculum? Now, I think I know what Darcy's answer would be. Um, but just to give you some feedback from a couple of other people, um, uh, Harry Waters says yes, 100%, um, but with the full support and backing of their institution and national curriculum. So I think that's a really interesting point there. And I wonder if Harry has gotten some experience of perhaps maybe he has tried to do so and yet not had the backing. Um, if I interrupt my own self there, um, D- Darcy, do you have any um, ideas or sort of reflections about that? Yeah, so so to this point, the... The conversation's been great with you, Dorian. So we, we went through Teaspoons of Change at that personal level. We've then talked around the, the global goals now at that collective level. So mm. so what I do in the classroom, and, and for me, an audience that hasn't heard of the SDG, uh, has, hasn't heard of the global goals or sustainable development goals is the perfect audience. And those who have, if this isn't new to us, then we, we can find new ways of explaining it to those people who haven't heard of them. 
But look, those two, so I use them as lenses. I, I'm, mm. It's nice to do a lesson on the global goals and on sustainability, these sorts of things. You know, that's what I call the kind of front-on work. And that's great. Mm. You might have a, a lesson or a unit plan or something that, that brings the spotlight onto that. But really, it's for me, it's more important to have the lens uh, or a few lenses. So I'll, I'll, I'll maybe just explain three lenses. The first one mm. is a collective context. And so any moment of any class or any situation in a school, I believe that we can kind of say, well, what does this look like in a collective context? You know, like maybe a global context. If we're doing this, then what does that look like for one finite planet with 8 billion people on it? Okay, so you're bringing the lens right out from whatever you happen to be doing. You're just hovering right up at that, that big global level, and, and that's where you might make reference to the global goals. And, and again, there's 17 goals. They're a bit scary, a bit confusing, but we can just say, right, let's just use this as a lens to, to look from a bigger perspective. And then the flip side of that lens is, well, what does this mean to me as an individual? As a year five in the Midlands in England or in Qatar or wherever, Shanghai, wherever we are, you know, what does that mean to me? And what about my personal choices, decisions and actions around this topic? So, so that's what I really encourage with educators that I've worked with for many years is to use it as a lens. And then it can just pop up, you know, in, in any moment of any, any um, lesson plan, etc. And sorry, and then just the third lens that I, that's come about from student demand, particularly last year, is that lens of diversity, equity and inclusion. And I know you touched on this with Anthony, which is fabulous, and, and the Dulwich Pudong School and Dulwich Pushin, our Duhong schools, they do a fabulous job of this, and, and it's just growing and growing. And so when we're looking at these things, what does this look like from, you know, the lens of uh, the, the opposite gender to me or a different gender or what does it look like from a rural person or an older person or uh, someone with a disability? So we're just going to, we're kind of enhancing and enriching what we're already doing. And so I like to say that global citizenship and the global goals and teaspoons of change, it's more of a, a value add than an add on. So it takes a little while to, mm. to feel comfortable and confident with them, but then it becomes pretty seamless in the way that we, we approach it. And, and I often encourage uh, teachers to have a set of global goals up in their, in their classroom where they can make a reference to them, you know, every so often. We don't want to oversaturate it. And then the students mm. will start to do that as well. So hopefully that's how does how does that sound? Yeah, no, that's really good. I think that yeah, there's again, well, you 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 nailed it on the head when you said, look, there's 17 goals and they're all kind of seem quite um, quite big and quite kind of uh, intimidating almost in a way. It's like oh, well, we're going, we're just going to have no poverty, reduce poverty, and and how can how can individuals do that? So having that, I think Roger Sutcliffe uh, in his Thinking Moves book was talking about exactly the same thing that you were. This idea of zooming in and zooming out of situations, you know, looking at what things look like at different levels and contexts. So I think rather than it being part of a kind of a, a an academic curricula, it's perhaps maybe more of a kind of mega mega cognitive uh, a process isn't it about thinking about the implications of things and thinking about the impacts of things and thinking about how your um, uh, actions uh, have consequences outside of uh, of your local area um, and I, I like the idea of having the, the the global goals as a as a reference point for students and teachers actually in in a display classroom um, as a geographer, obviously, I have them uh, there. Um, but interesting to think about maybe how I don't know in a in a in a, in a maths lesson, uh, it might be 
is that more of a challenge to try to link your day-to-day curriculum with the global goals? No, not at all. And and I love the, that opportunity. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit more practiced in, in doing this, but I'll sit down with any teacher and look at what they're doing. And I'll use physics as an example. They were looking at motion and the laws of motion. And, uh, and they brought up something about seatbelts. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, I happen to know the global goals quite well, but, but really it's like, you know, what's the practical application of seatbelts and motion, et cetera. And actually there's a, so you've got the 17 global goals. <clears throat> they have 169 targets. I don't know all the targets off by heart, but I do know that there's one about reducing traffic incidents. So, so when you're learning about motion and seatbelts, we're looking at, well, okay, the whole world is actually trying to reduce traffic incidents. So that, that's an interesting thing. So the, if we understand these laws of motion, that gives us you know, a few more talking points to say why it's good to use a seatbelt. So you've, you've looked at this as a global thing that we're trying to do. Uh, and you could, you know, even if you didn't know the global goals, maybe to the degree that I might, because that's my job, um, but you, again, it's just kind of framing that. So, yeah, you know, seatbelts. What if everyone in the world didn't wear a seatbelt? What if everyone in the world did wear a seatbelt? And then you do that flip the lens and say, well, do you use a seatbelt? Okay. So when you're in the, the DD, as we have here in, uh, in China, which I <laughs> tend not to use, I tend to use public transport, but, um, you know, it might not have a seatbelt in the back. So you might have a, a chat to your, uh, your taxi driver or someone say, hey, you know, It'd be really good if there was a seatbelt back here. <laughs> you know, we're trying to keep the, the, the world alive on the roads here. But, um, yeah. but, you know, it's so I don't force feed anything to anyone. But mm. if you when, – when you get used to doing this, it becomes quite seamless. And then that, that lens mm. of diversity is, you know, who gets to wear a seatbelt and are seatbelts well designed for, for people with autism or muscular dystrophy, you know, these different kinds of angles. Or, you know, who's the guy driving the taxi? You know, where, mm. where does, what's, how does he go, or she, or they, sorry. Um, Need support you know, with your where, phonics teacher. background, et cetera. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, exactly what you said is that we are, we're planting, you know, so in a physics lesson perhaps or a maths lesson, we're planting these kind of questions almost and, and, and giving, the, giving students an opportunity to reflect uh, and to, you know, just, just, just to really kind of think beyond the curriculum right yeah yeah i like that so something that's on the tip that's on the tip of my tongue uh during the the good life goals as well so the good life goals you might want to throw a link into this in the show notes at at some stage but actually the the website's not great anyway (laughs) right you you have to bump you have to bumble around with them a little bit you know if you're at a dulwich school i could give you a beautiful set of good life goals but these goals are an adaptation of the global goals. They're not particularly child-friendly, but they're, they're teacher-friendly. Um, right. And so what they do is they, they correlate to the, the global goals. But, they, you know, for example, number 12, uh, the, the global goal for number 12 is responsible consumption and production. If I say that to a year six student, I, I feel bored saying it, let alone them receiving that information. But the, but the, the good life goal is live better. And so that's, you know, in essence what we're talking about when we're talking about responsible consumption and production. And so, so these good life goals are a really nice bridge if, uh, if you want to get them to be more, you know, personable and practical to our, our students and our teachers and our parents. So I, I use things like the good life goals or I'm not sure if you remember back to PPAP, Pen Pineapple Pen, 
Japan. I do, yes, you know, the, I do remember the video. Yes, yeah. you, you know, that's right. He has his video with the global goals. And, you know, if a yeah. middle-aged Japanese man wearing a leopard suit can relate to the global goals, I think every teacher probably can do that as well, <laughs> even if they're a maths teacher. <laughs> yes, wow, great. And the, so would you say that the, the, um, the good life goals are more... Um, I guess accessible, and, and I might not just say sort of primary, but more accessible in terms of a stimulus of a kind of a, a starting point of a conversation. I've, we've been talking in a couple of shows about philosophy for children, and so actually have, using one of those good life goals or, or, or you know, the, the wording of it perhaps maybe has the potential to be more of a kind of a stimulant of, uh, of deeper co- uh, conversation and questioning. Yeah, that's that's right. So, uh, so again, you know, when I said before, I have a set of good life goals up in the classroom. I encourage that for teachers. I also encourage them to have a set of good life goals. Now, you know, we're throwing quite a few concepts at people here, but um, but they, they don't get too confusing. And and some schools will delineate quite clearly. They'll say, right, well, from from early years to through junior school, we're going to use the good life goals almost exclusively. But you know, you just make sure you talk about the global goals, and the kids aren't too um, confused by things and then then they might transition you know towards that in senior school or schools will work it out for themselves and depending on where they're at you know we're all on a spectrum of sort of zero to a hundred in terms of global literacy and competency so Mm. you're just going to use them where it's where it suits you and 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 where do you feel from your experience and your engagement with obviously multiple schools before you you kind of landed and and grew some roots in shanghai um where 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 have you seen examples of of that being successfully i mean the problem the problem is with this is that it's obviously going to be different depending on each environment each school is different and the parameters and the culture and and etc but Perhaps maybe you've got some um, uh, examples of where you have perhaps seen the global goals um, weaved coherently through a curriculum. Yeah, I've got a few favourites and not necessarily the curriculum, just in the culture, I would say, Mm. more so than the curriculum, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I I see it in all places and and every place, but, but the ones that have been a little further down this pathway and a couple of examples might be at NIST, uh, the New International School in, in Bangkok, uh, UNIS, the UN International School in Hanoi. Um, so I'll give an example. In, in Hanoi, they have the SDG Guardians and the junior school students. And their job was to go around the school and find out where they could add the context of, you know, that collective context of the SDGs into any part of their school. And, and the one, one example was uh, students saw that they, the year nines were going to make crepes for the school fair coming up. And they knew they were going to use Nutella because that's what they use every year. And they knew that Nutella may not use the most sustainable palm oil you know, available. So they dug around, they found some locally produced you know, uh, chocolate spread, went and had a chat to the year nines and said, hey, would you consider swapping out your chocolate spread? We've found this one. It's going to relate more to the SDGs. You can promote that at your stall. It's going to be more expensive. But, you know, if we do some advocacy and saying why we're doing this, we think it's going to work pretty well. Teacher support added in there as, uh, um, as well. Uh, they did and that. Also, and also they good for the good health and well-being because it's also good for good health and well-being because it's free of nuts. So... 
<laughs> Probably best to not have that on your stall at your fair, right? <laughs> all, yes, all uh, sorts of things. So, look, I, I think you just go through your school with a fine tooth mm. comb or actually a broad tooth comb to begin with. And mm. then, yeah, look, there's, a, there's an uh, unlimited amount that we can embed these things in. And is that similar to what I, I guess people who, who are listening might think, well, we, we, we do that, we've got an eco committee or we've got, so that might be something that they, they do already, but perhaps maybe now um, following sort of listening to this, they could think about actually using the global goals or the good life goals as a kind of a, um, uh, a, a yeah a framework or, or a plan to start mapping a plan. Um, and I think if you're kind of auditing um, what you do do in a school in terms of sustainability, you know, at the same time, you're all also thinking about perhaps maybe what you don't do and then that can kind of perhaps maybe give some rise to some uh, identifying some opportunities um within the school which you're of things that you're not doing well it's funny you might say that uh, dorian because uh at eim we're doing e uh, esg reporting this is a very businessy yeah. type thing it's uh, environment social and governance reporting that businesses do to show their shareholders that they're good for investment, blah, blah, blah. Now, right. I, I've, I've known about this concept for a while, but I grabbed hold of it recently for our, our organisation as a whole, as a group, and then for our individual schools, because what I like about it is it sets the goalposts. What do we care about? What are we doing well? What aren't we doing well? And where do we want to be in the future? And so this is a framework that already exists in the business world, but how can we educationalise it so that it's relevant to our schools and to our students. And so when our students, you know, go for their university interview or into a job or whatever they're going to do, uh, someone said, you know, they can say, oh, yeah, ESG reporting. Yeah, we did that in year four. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these are concepts that most adults haven't heard of. So, yeah. so for me, it's about finding some of those frameworks and structures. But that's right. Like what's important to mm. us and how are we doing on it? So it's not that everyone has to go and do ESG reporting. But, you know, these are these are different opportunities that we can grab and, and use for, for the better. That marries very nicely with my conversation last week with Danny Mayer on the the, the curriculum, the climate crisis curriculum, um, in the way that you're kind of building knowledge and understanding at such a, a – as early as possible so that the – the the richness of the discussion and the and the understanding and knowledge as you go through mm -hmm. school just builds on that and builds on that so if you've got um, students in primary that know about esg for example then that's something that's certainly going to help it just kind of jumped into my head there about going back in in the olden days when i did gcse uh, business studies and we did what was the the swot analysis right so what are the the strengths the weaknesses and the opportunities and the threats so it's that same kind of framework almost, isn't it, in terms of trying to identify within your school what are the things that you do do well at the moment, which can, you know, marry up nicely with a global goal. What are the things that perhaps maybe you don't? Um, where are the opportunities? Where, where, you know, how, how can you build capacity uh, to be able to be better at what you're doing already or to address the things that you're not doing? And then the threats, perhaps maybe what are those barriers to um that are going to get in the way uh, of you kind of achieving those things that's i think i, I think in general yeah. uh, just having a kind of a some form of structure because i, I think as we started at the, at the top of the show really it's you know the gl you know, global goals so very big very kind of big big blanket a big umbrella um but kind of in decoding those deciphering kind of what they mean and and, and giving teachers and schools the yeah capacity ability to be able to kind of say okay well how does this look in our school and what can we do within our school to to uh, 
support students in becoming more um, concerned about the environment and more active, perhaps maybe in the in in, in the uh, in terms of social justice, etc. I think is uh, is is a, it's a big challenge. But I think as you've articulated over the last you know forty minutes or so, um, there's way there's where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, and and these are real world applications, which is lovely because there's a lot of you know irrelevant learning that we do in school sometimes mm-hmm. so i like the real world application to make sure that some of those more i don't know like um sideways concepts have a living breathing pulse in the real world so yeah it's and it just takes a little bit of like i said comfort and confidence to to feel okay about these things and get familiar with them and you know that the global goals aren't perfect i'm they're, they're a bit neo-colonial and so the main thing for me is to is to take ownership of them because they're not prescriptive. They're not saying, right, you have to use them in this particular way. I like it when yes. schools take ownership of them and, and look at, you know, um, uncolonialising them and using Paulo Freire and all those sorts of, you know, wonderful other tools that, that schools should be a part of and, and making ownership of them. But the thing about them, so before I shoot them down after having talked about them for <laughs> you know, 20 minutes, um, is is that, you know, the world has agreed, has agreed upon these goals. So instead of me throwing rocks at them, as I might have done in my younger days mm-hmm. and, and other people still do today, it's like how do we adopt them, use them, take ownership over them and turn them into what we want them to be because they, they are just a, a you know a rough plan out there and we can use them so they're relevant and useful to us in our context. Yeah, totally. And having that kind of carbon copy of, 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 of what they are um, when you're going from place to place, it can also be really obviously beneficial as well, can you, if it's already something which has been kind of like universally agreed. I, I, yeah. I, I remember as my kind of, as a CAS coordinator, you know, the, the, in CAS, you've got these learning outcomes that the students have to reflect um, their to the, the extent of their progress towards, and one of them is global engagement. So, I mean, that was just that was the shoehorn. I mean, that was that was a, a slam dunk there because all they all the students really had to think about is how are the uh, is their project, how is their local actions, how is that helping them to kind of work towards um, one of one or multiple um, global goals. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Darcy, we're hurtling towards the end of the hour. Um, the time has gotten the better of us. I've got to do a quick uh, news break and then we will uh, return just after the news and just wrap up if you're okay to hang around. Yeah, I've got one practical tip that Ooh. I'd love to share. So Ooh. I'll, I'll say We'll leave that on a cliffhanger then. We'll be back in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, from the 20th of September, all staff working in schools will be able to access a toolkit of LGBTQ plus inclusive teaching resources and will have to complete a basic awareness course. LGBTQ plus history and topics will now be taught and integrated into everyday learning, making Scotland the first country in the world to make this mandatory. John Swinney, 
Deputy First Minister, praised the changes when they were confirmed earlier in the year, saying, Scotland is already considered one of the most progressive countries in Europe for LGBTQ plus equality. Schools in Norfolk have been impacted by the ongoing fuel crisis, with some fearing the return to online lessons. Some children who rely on special school transport arrangements have been unable to get to class. A Norfolk County Council spokesperson said, We are aware of a very few incidences where taxi drivers providing home to school transport have not been able to get fuel and are doing all we can to ensure that suitable transport remains in place. School buses have been unaffected so far, but there are 13,000 pupils in Norfolk who are eligible for funded transport to school. Former local head Jeff Barton, now General Secretary of the ASCL Head Teachers Union, said, The last thing schools need is the added pressure of fuel shortages with the potential for this to mean that staff, pupils and suppliers are unable to get to school. Research conducted by SmartPurse has shown that despite financial education being included in the national curriculum since 2014, their children's financial literacy is still a concern for many parents. Guy Rigdon, CEO of MyBank, said barely a third of 7 to 17-year-olds say they have received any form of money lessons. We cannot continue creating generations of young adults who don't know how to save or make informed decisions. For marginalised groups such as girls and young women, the margins are just too thin. It drives inequality and blights mental health. This has been your daily education news briefing. Thank you for that, Gail. And I just couldn't help thinking whilst I was listening to all those stories, how I was trying to link each of them to the global goals. And I think it was quite easily done, actually. And, and it made me think I'm, we're sort of teaching uh, globalisation at the moment in, in, in geography. And we're, we're looking at the idea that CO2 emissions from both uh, aviation and shipping uh, industries uh, account for about 6% of the global total, which sounds small. But um, as a result of globalisation, over the next kind of 15, 20 years, I think, well, 30 years maybe, um, they're going, that's going to double. And in cases of the aviation industry, that's, that, that's expected to triple. Um, and yet neither of those um, industries, the aviation or shipping internationally, are, appear on the COP26 agenda. So um, I think, you know, today my guest and I, Darcy Lund, have been talking about, you know, what we can do on a very granular level in terms of uh, addressing the global goals. Um, but as I've kind of alluded to a couple of times in, in, in previous shows, it is very much a combination of the bottom up uh, and the top down. And when we're kind of looking at kind of big international organizations and, and multi-governmental organizations, you know, there really does have to be some, almost some sardining, uh, as uh, Darcy said in the, in the middle of the show, that, you know, it's all very well us uh, individuals, you know, doing what we can to make our change. But the, but that really has to be um 
lubricate, you know, it has to be, the, the wheels have to be greased and, 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 and we have to be empowered to be able to actually do certain things and, and discussing things like the aviation industry and the shipping industry, et cetera, at COP26, I, 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 it, it uh, um, confuses me how that doesn't appear to be on the agenda at this time. Um, we are nearly done. We're nearly done. Darcy has one nugget uh, of uh, advice for us uh, to share with something that, our, that hopefully our listeners can take away and uh, use in school. So, Darcy. Yeah, thanks, Dorian. So to this point, having gone over some of these big concepts and ideas, I really want to make sure I leave listeners with, with one practical tip is when you're looking at your lesson plan or unit plan or year plan, if you happen to be that well organised, what I, what I suggest for our teachers in, in Dulwich and Duhong is to add some extra columns. Mm. So add in a column for the good life goals or global goals that that lesson or that unit plan might relate to. And that's, you know, just look at them. You don't have to dig into them. If you want to dig into them, that's fantastic. Uh, try and work out which global goals might relate to that topic. Next column, how will you elicit a connection to that global goal? Mm. Is it going to be a provocation? Are you going to show a picture? Is it going to be a little video? Is it a a guest speaker or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yep. So you've got your column for global goal, column for where you're going to listen. And then that third column is how can you do something that's kind of a bit wow, <laughs> you know, how can you do something that's a culminating point of that unit or that topic so that there's something that's experiential for the students, there's something that's real world and, and it just brings everything together. And that could be learning how to fix a tube on a bike tire or a little bit of first aid or you know just something that's quite useful but will easily relate to practical skills that are good for you and for people on the planet so hopefully that's maybe a, a nice little tip to leave yeah that's lovely Catherine hi Catherine just joining us from from Essex there I think um in the past, we've had similar kind of suggestions about, okay, how do we want to promote something more within our curriculum? Well, we, you know, at, we add it into our, our scheme of learning and whatever. So, and that is one possible way. Um, however, uh, I also think that the, the, you need CPD, you need training as well for, for, for staffs uh, to be able to, to feel confident and comfortable enough to be able to kind of broach these these issues um, regarding the global goals, right? So it's nice, definitely, to have the column in the in the in the in the scheme of learning um, because it does draw attention. It's making the global goals more visible, and it's showing teachers as well as students really that there is that kind of interconnectivity and that interweaving of these kind of dispositions that we want to shape for the future. Um, however. If you if the teachers are stood in front of the class, don't feel um, empowered, I guess, to be able to kind of start these conversations or feel comfortable or confident enough to kind of start some of these conversations, then that's certainly something. Would you agree that that's something? And I know that's probably what a lot of your work actually entails, isn't it? Trying to um, empower teachers to be able to to spread the goals. Yeah, I mean, I would never empower a teacher because teachers can only empower themselves. But what I would do is lay out different things for them to feel comfortable and confident because these are big concepts. And, and if we can just look at it a really tactile, useful, interesting way, then they're, they're, then they're going to become a, a part of our lesson. So for me, it is making sure that it's interesting and, and easy and accessible. So that's why I, I created Teaspoons of Change. And that's why I talk about the global goals sometimes a little bit offhandedly as a, you know, a fun thing or interesting thing. But that's what gets us into the game and, and keeps them bubbling along and, and popping up unexpectedly is, is when I love seeing examples where they just sort of rear their head when you wouldn't normally expect to see them. It's fantastic. Oh, 
Well, Darcy, it has been the most enjoyable hour um, talking these things through with you, and it has gone really quickly, but I hope you know we've managed to kind of go through uh, an, a number of things pertaining to the Global Goals. It's been fascinating hearing about your journey uh, in, in, in education and, and with these goals. And, and as I said, having met you and worked with you in the past before, I really can um, have, have absolutely... Um, it's been fantastic working with you and your enthusiasm and your energy and the way in which you go about communicating uh, to, to, to staff and to students in schools um, really has had a, a positive impact uh, on on the schools that I've been working with. So I'd like to thank you for that. And thank uh, I'd like to thank you for that. And thank you for your time on Teachers Talk Radio. We will be putting a number of the links, et cetera, that you've referred to in, in, in our show notes. Um, and I think it's time now for you to go off and have a, have a relaxation after your 50K run this morning. <laughs> Thanks, Dorian. Great to connect with you and uh, and all the listeners. I, I will be taking a relaxing evening. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Darcy. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.